Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today, we are going to be talking about Dallas Jenkins and an interview that he did with Ali Betstucky on Blaze TV. And in this interview, we're going to discuss how Dallas Jenkins, one, describes uh, his justification for biblical plausibility in his defense of the creative license or liberty that he's taken with the chosen. And then part two of this, which will be one continuous uh, episode or whatever, we're going to discuss him replying to accusations of Mormonism. And we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss Ali's, uh, Ali Stuckey's uh, handling of the situation. Um, I haven't fully made up my mind yet, but we're going to watch again and I'm going to come to that conclusion. But in case you were wondering, I do dislike The Chosen. I think The Chosen is a trash TV show. It is a terrible show. Like, entertainment value, it's bad. It, it's uh, Maybe it's made for Hallmark Moms or something, but it's a CW type of show. And I said that in the last video that I did on The Chosen that it was looking like they're advertising it as a CW show on their uh, interview circuits for the actors, and it so happens that the Christmas special for The Chosen was aired on the CW Network, thus proving uh, what I said to be accurate, that it is, in fact, a CW show. Uh, with its sons out, guns out, Peter, somewhat liberal messaging, which I'm sure doesn't get more or less, or doesn't get less liberal uh, over the course of time. And... Uh, Good-looking character cast. Yeah, mostly talking, about, again, about Suns Out, Guns Out, Peter. So, with that said, uh, first, before we dive into the video, this is a, a Patreon-like system that I built over at evangelicaldarkweb.org. Join It's a way that you can support this ministry. Uh, it's a monthly giving. You get more access because there's a website that has articles written pretty much every day. I took two days off for Christmas Eve and Christmas, but we are back at it once again. And there's more articles and videos or podcasts. And if you are a subscriber, you get even more content on top of that. So I try to create the best deal possible for you. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, this is a mission uh, that you are supporting. So let's dive right on into the interview. And we're going to pick up at the 1903 minute mark. And we're going to be listening and it's at 1.25 right. speed. It's just that somehow he gets glory out of it. Yeah. I imagine that it is a huge undertaking. And you kind of just mentioned this when you're thinking, okay, you're not responsible for the millions of people watching this. But I still imagine as you are trying to create a series, The Chosen, that reflects the life of Christ, that is as biblically and historically, culturally accurate as possible, while still having to take creative license, for sure. example, like Matthew, you depict him as someone who's on the spectrum. Yep. We don't see that in the Bible. And so how do you approach that huge task of trying to stay as accurate and grounded as possible while also being creative and creating a series that people really want to watch. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is uh, I would say probably 95% of the content of the show isn't directly from Scripture. People call it a Bible show. They'll call it a, a Jesus show. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's mostly. an overstatement. This is actually, I mean, the Bible is for sure the, the primary source of truth and inspiration for the show, but there's a ton of content that isn't actually directly from Scripture. So to your question, 
it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous proposition. You know, you're walking a fine line, especially as someone like myself who loves the Bible. And I know that people who watch it, the majority of people who watch it are going to be wanting us to be remain faithful to the scriptures as much as possible. We operate from the, this question, is this plausible? Whatever we write that, is, that didn't come from scripture, is this plausible culturally, historically? And does it fit within the character and intentions of Jesus in the Gospels, even if it's not directly from them, or even if we don't know if it's fact or not. So for example, Matthew being on the spectrum. Uh, is that plausible? I think so. It's Why? Not. Well, we, this, is, this is a good uh, example of how we approach the show in general. We start with what we know from Scripture. So we know that Matthew was a tax collector. Uh, that means he was a numbers guy. Uh, he, he, we know he's a facts guy. The first chapter of his book is a genealogy divided into three sections of 14 names apiece. Uh, we know that he chose a profession that made him an outcast, hated by the Jews for betraying his people by being a tax collector and working for the Romans, disrespected by the Romans for being Jewish. All of these things, we're, we're, we're writing them down on a, on a big piece of paper as we're formulating the character of Matthew. And I'm someone who's very familiar with the autism world. I have autism in my family. I've done a lot of work in the special needs community. So I know autism very, very closely. And uh, I'm like, these are, these are traits of Asperger's. These are traits of their numbers, facts, uh, socially outcast, but maybe comfortable with that because maybe you prefer to be a little bit uh, alone. And uh, we thought, what if, what if Matthew, what if we could have, what if we could portray him as being on the spectrum? Think of how human that is. Think of how relatable that could be for people. Um, taking the stories from 2000 years ago and actually putting them into a modern context for the viewer could be really powerful and relatable. Now, doing something just to be relatable, that could be a problem. That's we're what they did here. The All right, we're going to change it. We're going to make it more. We're going we're to water it down so people. That's what they do with the character of Matthew. They change it just to be relatable. And their justification for the plausibility is stereotypes of autism, which, by the way, having watched The Chosen, I don't think they adequately captured the stereotypes of autism because there's some inconsistencies in the character of Matthew as it relates to conventional understanding of autism, specifically as it relates to him being a social outcast, which also, by the way, is not... In the Bible, Matthew being a complete loner, I do not believe is biblically plausible because when he is called by Christ, he throws a party at his house and his friends show up. His friends, the other tax collectors, show up. So Matthew was not the outcast whose only friend is a Belgian shepherd or some, you know, non-historically accurate dog breed. Uh, that, you know, that's his only friend. That's not biblically plausible. And I'm, I'm, I could go off with a bunch of more examples, and I will, uh, but I'm going to let him finish. Get it. We're going to do something. We're going to try to have more diversity just to be politically correct, just try to appeal as many people as possible. That. Uh, yes, they have Jesus speaking Coptic or Egyptian. Uh to appeal to the whole refugee narrative of Christ. Uh, first of all, uh, you could have spoken Greek in Egypt and gotten away just fine back then. You know, being that Greece had or Egypt had been Hellenized for hundreds of years at this point, uh, you would have gotten away with just speaking Greek or Koine, the language that the Bible is written in. Uh, second of all, it kind of is used to promote the Jesus as a refugee narrative, which I think is a completely liberal understatement because the amount of time that Jesus actually spent in Egypt growing up 
was very brief is way briefer than you know would have been needed to have learned a foreign language so that's not plausible it, it it's not plausible that they would have chosen to learn egyptian rather than koine greek and it's also not plausible that again that he spent enough time in egypt uh, for them to have chosen. I don't think that's plausible whatsoever. It, it's, again, historically inaccurate. And this show does not really care about historical accuracy that shows up in the whole dis- the whole plots, the banal plots about taxation. It's also not biblically plausible that the Romans would start investigating Jesus prior to Pilate. That's not biblically plausible. The Pilate, you know, that's the first instance of the Roman... I want to say judicial uh, system, so to speak, took a major interest in Jesus. Before that, never really heard the guy. Wasn't their concern. So these things, these major plot points in The Chosen aren't plausible. It's not plausible that John the Baptist was an eat-the-rich kind of hippie. That's not plausible. He wasn't an eat-the-rich kind of guy. They inserted modern sensibilities into characters in the in the you know first century Galilee, and they're passing that off as plausible. It's just not. That would be a problem, but this is plausible. If it's mm. plausible, yeah, and it happens to uh, allow the viewer to connect even more deeply to the people and see Jesus through the eyes of people who actually followed him. That can be really impactful. So that's how we approach all of these stories that you see in the show. Some come directly from scripture. Some come from our imagination. But I think all of it comes through this filter of plausibility based on a desire to be faithful to the scriptures and to the character and intentions of Jesus in the Gospels. It's not easy. It, no, it's on dangerous either. ground. We get, we get a lot of criticism, obviously, yeah. from people who don't want to see anything that's not from scripture. But, uh, but we do believe that it's a, it's a, we're not the Bible. We're not pretending to be the Bible. We're not a replacement for Scripture. Yeah. We never claim to be. We're not adding to Scripture because Scripture is Scripture. That's the Bible. Your Bible hasn't changed since The Chosen came out. Uh, we're not adding to it. This is a show about first century Galilee using the Bible as our primary as source. As your guide, yeah. right. So, uh, again, along that lines, it's not plausible that Jesus would request that Nicodemus, an old man who's also presumably not built for travel, that Jesus would say to Nicodemus, follow me and be one of my disciples. And then Nicodemus say no. That's not plausible. It's also not plausible that Jesus would, because we know in Scripture that the 12 disciples are chosen, before Mary Magdalene comes into the play. It's not biblically plausible that Mary Magdalene uh, is chosen ahead of the 12 disciples, because we see in Scripture that that's not true. So, uh, there's a lot of things that Dallas Jenkins took creative license on that are not biblically plausible. And he did this for the reasons of relatability and relatable is the name of the Ali Beth Stuckey's podcast. So he's using the name of the podcast strategically or wisely, cleverly uh, to make his points. But I see this as he is doing this entirely to be relatable. And Ali here. And this is going to be my criticism. She's not informed on The Chosen. She has never watched The Chosen. And she's open about that. 
And I believe, I, again, the critiques that I bring about the shows and aren't the generic critiques that I see. Like, I believe that it's bad television, even if it weren't about, even if it were just a, a story about Galley, I, I would still think it's bad. Uh, it's not historically accurate. Uh, they get the taxation stuff like that completely messed up. And uh, again, a lot of things out of order. And they don't have to be out of order. That's the other thing. They don't have to deviate. They're doing it for television tropes. They're doing it to be relatable to the audience. This is just like the He Gets Us campaign that we made fun of quite a bit uh, back in March. And even beyond because it resurfaced when the Southern Baptist Convention was getting in bed with the uh, He Gets Us campaign. In which $100 million was sunk into low quality, low budget. Like this channel has a higher production value than, than these videos by the He Gets Us campaign. And that's saying something. And it's an attempt to make Jesus relatable, to market Jesus. And it, I think it's a bad play. It doesn't work. And The Chosen is smarter than that, admittedly. It's higher quality than that. Hard not to be. But at the end of the day, that's kind of what it is. It hasn't risen above that. Has there been any criticism? With every popular project, there's going to be criticism. It's just inevitable. Has there been any criticism that has made you go, hmm, actually, that might be a good point? Or it has like caused you to either change direction or at least, I don't know, think a little bit more deeply about a choice that the series made? I would say not a lot. And here's why. Not because I'm arrogant and don't accept criticism. It's because we do so much of that work on the front end. Yeah. So when we do something on in the show that someone is bothered by... Sometimes they'll even say, boy, you know, you, you need to change that. Or why aren't you apologizing for that? We're offended, you know. And I'll say, we, we, we thought through all this deeply yeah. on the front end. I mean, I have, I have Bible consultants that I, that I work with. Um, I, I go through a lot of research, a lot of prayer, a lot of, we, we, we take this very, very seriously. So by the time we've released the show, it's very unlikely that someone's going to point out something that we haven't thought of mm -hmm. and considered. Now, there's been stuff that, I, that we missed, you know, whether it's some, some sort of cultural fact, some historical fact that maybe we got wrong. Um, you know, inadvertently or, you know, maybe slip through the cracks. But when it comes to our biblical approach or our approach to how theology and what... By slip through the cracks, they mean, like, have entire plot points developed or dedicated to these cracks? I'm just saying, like, if you watch season one, so much of it is focused on banal plots that are entirely boring and very slow. But to to the credit of some of these plots... The Romans are probably the most enjoyable characters on the show. Whatnot. It's unlikely that a YouTube comment is going to suddenly settle 2,000 years of debate yeah. <laughs> about the theology of God versus man. And, you know, the, the most controversial thing that, we, that we've done to, the, to date was uh, there was about 10 seconds of Jesus. He was preparing uh, for the big sermon on the Mount, and he's kind of working out some of the things in his head of what he wants to say, and he's working on the turn of phrase. It's kind of like, it's like sermon prep. And there were some people who just were so offended oh. that God, Jesus, would ever need to prepare or that he would struggle to come up with the right words hmm. or anything like that. Hmm. And I understand what they're saying, um, but they would be like, Jesus is God. He would never, never struggle, you know, uh, to think of anything. And then you look at a verse like in Philippians where it says that Jesus did not, account, Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he actually gave up. A lot of his, his, the things that he has when he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, mm -hmm. he didn't have when he was on earth. 
And so there's a spectrum of, of, yeah. of what Jesus may have known or not known, yeah. how God was he, how man was he. You know, th there's a term called the hypostatic union where it's, he was both fully God and fully man. Well, this has been debated and discussed for thousands of years. It's, it's vexed scholars the world yeah. over. People who love the Bible can disagree on this issue. Yeah. And yet, a YouTube... Can they disagree on the hypostatic union? Is that what he's saying? Commenter can say, no, I know it, and you're wrong, and I'm going to settle this debate. So I'm using that as an example of, of the kind of thing where the decision to do that on my part was was made and thought through deeply before we brought it to the world. So their comment isn't going to necessarily make me go, yeah. oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. Let me change my mind. So, right. I, and you're not claiming that those things are... So let's hop on that and the depiction of Jesus. Like one of the criticisms that you know I talked about with my pastor of the chosen is... And he used a fancy word for it that is so fancy that it's not actually in systematic theology. Uh, it, it was like, it started with an N, I believe, or a GN. And it, but either way, it was about the uh, effects of the fall that aren't necessarily sin. So, you know, the idea that people forget things or have that people that have flaws that aren't sinful flaws. So that's the idea that uh, I'm talking about here. Flaws that aren't sinful flaws. But did Jesus have flaws that were not sinful flaws? And I think the answer is no. You know, Jesus is not the type of guy to forget which direction's east or west. Uh, or, you know, just forgetting things. I don't think, you know, that to me, is an effect of the fall, that you forget things. Uh, so things like that. Uh, th there's a fancier word for it that I'm not remembering because, you know, not in my vocabulary. But certain effects of the fall and the per standard of perfection, and I don't know because I haven't seen the scene that he's talking about, uh, with the Sermon on the Mount, whether this qualifies as that, but that is a criticism of the chosen that I have heard. So, uh, let's hear what Ali has to say. Not debatable. Right. And so, because as you said, I mean, Jesus is fully God and fully man. A lot of those things of how that manifested itself, what right. weaknesses he did have, um, as far as even just the weakness of hunger or the weakness right. of thirst, like how much did that really have an effect on his life and on his mind? And so I think it just goes back to kind of what you were saying, that is it plausible? Right. Not is it in scripture? Or is it, yeah, and I even said, I'm not willing to say that our portrayal in that moment was fact. I don't know that, but yeah. neither do you. Right. So let's explore it together. You shouldn't be relying on me or the show for your entire theolo theological interpretation of who God is. Mm -hmm. You should be in a good church. You should be reading the scriptures. That's where yeah. this show is a supplement. This show is a, is a, is like, as you just mentioned, it's a, it's, a, it's what we believe a plausible yeah. attempt to capture the yeah. people of first century Galilee. But I, I think it's, I think it's good, healthy discussions. Yeah. I would have thought that you would say that the most controversial thing or the thing that caused the most criticism was when Jesus said, I am the law of Moses. And people interpreted that as quoting the book of Mormon, which I know. So I want to respond to that before we go into the Mormon land part, because he views that he reiterates constantly on this interview that he believes that the chosen is supplemental. Uh, he believes that the chosen is not to be a replacement of scripture. It's not, uh, to some degree, it's not actually scripture itself, which is literally true. It's not literally scripture. And that's how he means it. He's when he says that the chosen isn't the Bible, he means that the chosen is not literally the Bible. 
So he he maintains that consistently, which you know I I don't I think that's a straw man, but nonetheless, like I don't think anyone's saying that the chosen is literal. You know, people are treating the chosen literally as the Bible, but we're gonna see how that relates to you know the chosen and the chosen's depiction of Jesus relates to his view and his views on Mormons and the state of their salvation and the state of whether they know the real Jesus. So put a pin in that as we're going to revisit that later on. I know that you've already answered this. It was not a direct quote from the Book of Mormon, not also a direct quote from Scripture. Right. So I would have thought that that was the thing that caused the most. Well, that episode much. hasn't come out yet. That was in the trailer. Oh, so, okay. So yes. I must have missed that part. Well, right. no, no, no. I mean, it's it, well, it was in the trailer. And and so, yes, I would say you're right. That, that became... Uh, one of the most controversial things. Uh, yeah, because so there's a moment in episode three, which is coming up uh, this Sunday night, actually, um, that we have our big live stream on Dece on uh, Christmas, uh, December 25th. Uh, we have our big episode three live stream. And that'll get, give everyone the chance to see the scene that has the quote that vexed so many people. So uh, one of the Pharisees is really upset with Jesus for claiming to be the Messiah uh, in his own hometown. And uh, they're saying, you're a false prophet. And uh, because you're a false prophet, we have no choice but to follow the law of Moses, uh, which, of course, says you put to death false prophets. And Jesus steps up to him and says, I am the law of Moses. And yes, there, there, a rumor got spread that that's a quote from the Book of Mormon. I've never actually read the Book of Mormon. Uh, so I, I, you know, even if it had been a quote, I wouldn't have known it. And it's not yeah. even a direct quote anyway. That, the quote, to, I think, from the Book of Mormon is like, I am the law. And I am the, the law and the something. light. Yeah, yeah. So, so all that to say, um, yes, that, there were some major criticism and, and controversy came about from that quote. And uh, what's, what's interesting about it is that I think sometimes people make assumptions even about what you mean from something. So, for example, <clears throat> Jesus in that scene, I do believe it's plausible for him to claim I'm the law of Moses. Uh, many, many people, many scholars would, would consider Jesus to be the living, breathing Torah, the living word, as they say, um, that, that, he, that even though he has fulfilled the law, that doesn't mean the law is done. And, it, and of course, we believe he and the Father co-authored the law. So all of those things are, again, theological discussions worthy of, of, of debate. That said... What he is doing in that moment is he is asserting authority. So the Pharisee is saying, the law of Moses is our authority. And he's going, I'm, I'm your authority. I'm authority. Yeah. So it's yeah. like if someone comes to the, to, like let's say a big authority figure comes to someone's house and, and, uh, and it's and basically meant to be in, in the house says, Hey, I'm, you know what? I'm going to call the police. And the person goes, well, I am the police. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't necessarily mean they're literally a police officer, but they're saying, I'm right. the authority. Whatever you see is your authority. That's me. Yeah. That's what Jesus is asserting in that scene. And in the context of the full scene, which you can see in episode three is it's probably the most blatant declaration in the whole show of Jesus as God, Jesus as son of God, Jesus as the savior. Yeah. So a lot of what I, I kind of chuckled to myself going, a lot of the critics of this moment are actually, yeah. if they saw the whole scene are seeing it's probably the most blatant yeah. depiction of Jesus as the authority that will ever yeah. show. So, but you bring up a great example, which is that when we're doing 56 episodes of this show, that's going to be about 50 hours of television portraying Jesus. It's worth noting the interesting choice to have this at Jesus's hometown. Uh, that's a very interesting choice to have a declaration of uh, Jesus being God, to have that at Nazareth. I think that's a very interesting choice. So perhaps we'll, we'll see how they treat a lot of the uh, verses in that uh, chapter, uh, specifically as it relates to Jesus's family and stuff like that, because this, you know, Jesus is rejected in his hometown. So it's interesting that they they take this 
to mean that Jesus, they take this to mean that Jesus is asserting his divinity in his own hometown as a rebuttal to initial or prolonged or protracted rejection. A very interesting thing. I can't make a full judgment on it because I haven't seen it. Uh, and it'll be a while before I do, but I'm going to be very weary of that scene. Jesus, the most famous and influential man in history. There's going to be moments that everyone has a disagreement with. Even as someone like myself who loves God's word, the, the most staunch practicing evangelical will at some point in this show see something that they don't fully agree with. The hope is that you have a little bit of grace and go, you know what, there's things on which we can disagree. It doesn't mean that you're yeah. a heretic. It doesn't mean that you're trying to lead people away from the authentic Jesus. It means that there's a lot of things that yeah. we don't fully know and understand. Let's wrestle with them. You know, there are some LDS people that I know we love the same Jesus. And then you kind of clarified that to say not that LDS and evangelical or evangelical Christians. So this is where we get into Mormon land. But that the ones you know love the same Jesus. I mean, as you know, some people have a problem with that. Right. Mormonism does not believe that Jesus is God, believes that Jesus is a son of God and became like God, right. was actually a brother of Satan. So it's not the same. <laughs> Jesus, it's not the same God at all. And the differences are extremely fundamental. Yeah. I would say much more than you know, Catholicism or sure. things like that. And so, um, you know, some people were a little concerned, uh, yeah. concerned about that. Well, out of context, you take the phrase. Might also say that uh, the differences between uh, Islam or Christianity and Islam versus Christianity and Mormonism, you know, that Islam at least, you know, is more monotheistic than Mormonism. So you might also make that argument as well. What I, that I said where I said, we love the same Jesus. And they said, okay, Dallas is saying that all Mormons, all LDS folks love the same Jesus as evangelicals. Now, I'm not going to speak for the LDS church, uh, but what I was saying, and I think I, I think I, I think my wording was sloppy. I think that I could have clarified a little bit better. I do have some LDS friends. Not all, I, I, have, I have LDS friends who I would say don't necessarily love the same Jesus that I do. I do have some that we have, I have spent hundreds of hours with. Mm -hmm. I have prayed with. I have wept with. I have gone to Israel with. I have spent hundreds of hours of talking. And I would say that those friends of mine that I know that I've spent t t tons of time with, when we're talking particularly about Jesus of Nazareth, particularly the Jesus of the Gospels, it is the same Jesus. They they love, they, like, the, the, the show, that like, the Jesus that I'm portraying in the show, the Jesus that we read about in the scriptures, um, I firmly believe that, that and, and I, you know, in my deep conversations with them, that, that we're, when we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, we're talking about the same one. Now, but they may not have John one, the Jesus that we're talk that we see in the show and the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. And you see how he worked that in there and how he, that, that pin that I wanted to put in, let's pull that back out and look at what he just said there. He talked about how these Mormons, you know, they love the Jesus in the show. And they also say that they love the Jesus in the scriptures. You see how he put that evenly? And, you know, he keeps trying to maintain that the chosen is not a replacement of the Bible. It's not equal to the Bible. But he kind of betrayed that a little bit. But, again, I do believe that, you know, he does believe that the chosen is not literally the Bible. He does believe that. And I don't think he believes that the chosen is prophetic or uh, God breathed, I, I think might be the best way to put that.
I do believe that he, you know, would maintain that. But it's interesting how one of his points of contention, or one of his points, one of his measurements for how genuine a faith that a particular Mormon has is the fact that they love the cho- chosen and the Jesus in the chosen. And they, and they love the, the Jesus in the scriptures. It's interesting how he netted the two of those together. I think that's very interesting. That yep. the word was God. That right. is not what Mormons believe. Well, that may not be the official statement of the LDS church, but I would say that I know some LDS folks who would say, I believe in John, John chapter 1. But that may put them in misalignment with their church. I don't know. I don't get into the details of, of whether or not what, what, what their church thinks of it. I'm just saying I have... You know, I, I've literally asked those very questions to some of my friends, and I've gone, well, what do you think of John chapter 1? I am, in yeah. the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And they go, I believe that. I go, well, it seems to contradict this piece. And they go, well, that piece might, might have been misinterpreted by some people. So I'm just saying, I, I'm not, I'm not. I'm- so he has wiggle room because they have wiggle room. Because they don't have definitive answers on these topics. And now he doesn't have definitive answers on these topics. He's passing the buck here. I'm not disagreeing with you. I would say if you said to me, does the LDS church as a whole and does the evangelical world as a whole share the same fundamental theological beliefs about Jesus? I would say no. But I would say even within the evangelical world, there are evangelicals who I would say don't necessarily know Jesus as the Bible is portraying because as the Bible is, is, is leveling things. I just don't believe in uh, broad, broadly stating about any one people group. This is what they all believe and this is what they all know. Uh, I wouldn't say that about any particular people group. I've I've known evangel I've sat next to evangelicals in churches who, I would say, yeah, we're going to the same church, but we don't necessarily understand or believe the same things. So, I'm I, I'm acknowledging that, in the in the interview that I did several years ago, that my wording could have been sloppy. So that I wanted to make sure it didn't sound like I'm speaking for an entire people group or speaking about an entire people group. Yeah. I would just say that there are, I think all of us. I think you've I think all of us have experienced this. If you're if you're a conservative, if you're a Christian, if you're an evangelical, if you're a Catholic, we've all experienced being painted with a broad brush based on the, the the name of our tribe that we're in. And I've I've seen it happen multiple times that because I'm part of a particular label that there's an assumption made about that I must accept or believe everything about that's typically associated with that label. And I would say that there's oftentimes exceptions. And 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 I would say that there there can be exceptions in this case. And again, I'm not saying that we all agree with the same thing and that we all have the same beliefs about everything. I'm not, but, but I would say that, uh, that I was speaking about specific people in that case. Yeah. And I would just encourage people go back and listen to um, Thursday's episode. We talked to a woman who spent 30 years in the Mormon church and then became a Christian. And it's not saying that everyone with the with a label believes the same things, but it is looking at particular doctrines and just yeah. making sure that people know uh, the true gospel. What is a works based yeah. religion yeah. Um, versus what is by grace through faith. And that is what Christianity is founded upon. Um, okay. Let me say one more, yeah. if you don't mind, one more go clarifier, too. Ahead. I have spoken with. I would say it's a conservative estimate to say dozens like personal conversations with dozens of people from the LDS faith who have said to me, because of the chosen, I am finding myself closer to the, to Jesus and closer to grace than I ever have in my entire life. That I am finding myself falling more in love with Jesus than the church. And that to me, um, and is, that would be a big shift for Mormons who really see church, the LDS church as the authority. So that's, yeah, I mean, I know, I know people who, for whom their church LDS or Catholic or any, any kind of, formal religion is 
in many, almost like God, is almost like the thing that they worship, the thing that is their connection to God. And as an evangelical, I passionately believe that you don't need anything formal or anything to, to, to connect you to God, that you can have a direct relationship with Jesus. And uh, I have talked to dozens personally myself and heard from hundreds online or even thousands of people who've said, I am finding myself loving Jesus more and finding a personal relationship with Jesus more so than my church, more so than anything formal, anything, uh, any, yeah. any, any person or thing as a connection that I'm, I'm actually giving, getting direct access to Jesus because of this. And so uh, even if by some chance I disagree with a viewer about someone else's faith, I can tell you that the chosen itself, the content of the chosen itself, I'm responsible for. It's not influenced by any religion. It's not influenced by any church, any person. It comes from a person. Christianity is a religion, by the way. No belief in Jesus as the Son of God, as the ultimate authority, as God, and uh, and if that can actually have an influence and an impact yeah. on people who maybe have in the past not been able to have a personal relationship because of whether it's a lack of faith or sometimes it's because of the idolatry of their own church, the idolatry of of uh, their own habits, uh, the idolatry of of their own vices. But you can actually get past yeah. all of that. Yeah, and I just want my listeners and my viewers to know to make clear that Mormonism is not a denomination of Christianity, that there are fundamental differences. Go back and listen to Thursday's episode. But the reason why I am not concerned with some people say, well, I know there are Mormons who work with the company that distribute. The reason why that doesn't, to me, mean that someone should not watch The Chosen is because from what I've seen, Mormon theology is not influencing The Chosen. It is scripture. And so there are lots of different people of lots of different faiths that we work with that aren't necessarily influencing our work. There are people that would be like saying that you shouldn't listen to Relatable because Blaze TV distributes it and the people who run Blaze TV might have, you know, different beliefs than I do. Right. And so that is not Including my Including LDS. Yeah, <laughs> so, but I didn't want yeah. to, but I did want to just kind of give us the opportunity to kind of talk about that and hear you clarify it because I know a lot of right. people, you know, did have questions. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think those are healthy questions. And I would just say, like you just said, even if we end up disagreeing on some of these issues, I don't believe there's a disagreement about the, in the content of the show. And uh, I, I'm going to I've said from the beginning, the show speaks for itself. And it's I right. am a flawed, sinful human being. And regardless of our conversation about LDS folks, there's plenty of other things about me or something that I uh, things that I've done, things that I still do, whatever that that we may disagree about or that I struggle with. Like, do not look at the show as the Bible. Do not look at me as God. Do not look at Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus as Jesus. We are flawed human beings, unlike the Bible. <laughs> the Bible is perfect. The Bible is what you are looking to as your authority. This is a show that's going to have, uh, that's made by a flawed person. And uh, I'm not claiming direct scriptural authority right. or inspiration from God. I'm doing my best to try to give pl- a plausible account of, uh, of of the truth and intentions of Jesus in the Gospels. So that's the end of that spiel. And I'm going to agree with Allie on her take on the distribution platform to some degree. I, I understand why she came to that conclusion. I respect her position on that because she does not want to appear as a hypocrite. However, I do think it's uh, because I would consider her more in the realm of politics than of faith-based production. There might be certain differences, but there are, to me, exceptions. But I also think that working with secular companies for a faith-based production is more biblical than working with a pagan company. And by pagan, I mean a cult that claims Christ and does not know Christ to do a biblical production. I think that's a major issue. 
So I do think there's a distinction. I understand that Ali Stucky does not see that as a, a nuance, a proper nuance, but I, I won't go after her for that. But I do think that she was underprepared for this interview. And when I see Dallas Jenkins, I kind of see someone who weasels a lot. And you see that with, you know, I'm not claiming to be the scripture and all this other stuff, but I'm using, you know, but all these people who are really enthusiastic about the chosen are really getting to know the real Jesus. And that to me is a little bit of an inconsistency. Uh, I, I don't square that well at all just that inconsistency that I previously mentioned. And, you know, it's a little bit of a sandwich that he did there where he, or maybe not a sandwich, but like a train, uh, which, you know, and this train has engines on the front engines at the back. And the engines are him saying that, you know, this isn't literally the Bible. It's not literally God breathed. It's my TV show and all that other stuff. But in between that, there are little, uh, cars here and there that undermine the point that he was trying to make the undermine the engines and the point that he's trying to make. Um, so anyway, uh, I let's summarize the other things, uh, specifically again, he, he is a history of weaseling on the Mormon issue. And I did a video on that and that's why he has no credibility when it appears like you are, quoting the book of mormon he doesn't have a whole lot of benefit of the doubt when you have a tv show that is funded and distributed by mormons you don't have the benefit of the doubt there you know they you know the angel studios is literally the act blue of the chosen so he doesn't have the credibility there And uh, more concerns to have is that the Mormon church is going gay. They're embracing gay marriage. That's a concern moving forward with working with the, you know, Mormons and the chosen that Mormons are openly liberal now in their public theology. That's a major concern. So these aren't little differences. He treats them as much more little differences than I do, but he then wants to fall back on that by saying, I don't want to make generalities, general statements. I don't want to broad brush paint to people, but here's the thing. You know, if you don't believe that, you know, there is only one God and Allah is his prophet, are you a Muslim? Or, you know, so if you don't believe that, the pretty much the creed of Islam, which has a, a name that I forget, if you don't believe that, are you a Muslim? And the answer is probably not. Or no, if you want to be simplistic about it. Uh, and he, the other thing is, if you don't actually believe in Jesus, if you are not actually saved by Christ, you aren't that Christian. Now, are you? So, Christianity is a religion, given the teachings of the Bible, that actually cares about whether you internally believe and have faith in Christ. Because, again, it is by the grace of God, by the, you know, faith 
faith alone in Christ alone for the glory of God alone on the basis of Scripture alone. Just to go through our solas here. And other religions don't have an emphasis on that. So, uh, that's really all I wanted to say about that. I think this is, was a pretty interesting interview. I, I would agree with the criticism that Ali Batstaki was soft on Dallas Jenkins, but she was firm on the most the, the areas where she was most informed about, she was firm on. But I feel like she should have really challenged the plausibility of Matthew being a math autist. I think she should have challenged that. And But otherwise, she, did, she doesn't have a whole uh, hat full of examples to pick out and you know question, how, how is this plausible? How is that plausible? Because you know, how is it plausible that Mary Magdalene was uh, exercised uh, before the 12 disciples were chosen. How is that plausible? I don't think it is. So, with that said, uh, yeah, or how is it plausible that the dragnet miracle happened in knee-deep water? How is that plausible? It's, it's not, actually. That's a low-production value uh, defect. More than it is a writing defect, actually. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. If you've stuck around this long, don't forget to subscribe to the channel on your way out. That's completely free. That's a free way to support us. And drop that like button because that helps with the algorithms. Have a blessed day and we will catch you on the next one.